Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 12, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. You may think a screen capture program is something you don't need. You probably think it's something that I use a lot, and if you go to the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see that I do use a screen capture program a lot. But that doesn't mean that one might not be handy for you, too. A couple of possibilities. If you have plenty of money to burn, there is Snagit by TechSmith. It is the gold standard by which all screen capture programs are going to be judged. But if you don't have the budget, I have an option for you. M.W. Snap. M.W. Snap is a product of Miroslav Wojtyłowicz. He's a programmer in Poland who's put together some very effective applications, one of which is called PINs. I've told you about that one before. It's one that will allow you to store passwords in a secure way. So if you have a million passwords, you can store all of them in an encrypted format on a device you can carry around in your pocket. Well, he also has a program called MW Snap. The price is definitely right. It's free, although Merrick does accept donations for MW Snap as he does for all of his other applications. MW Snap can capture the entire desktop, a highlighted window, an active menu, a control, or a fixed or free rectangular part of the screen. And then it can save the resulting image either to the Windows clipboard or as a file in any of five common graphics formats. Some of the additional features are a zoom function, a ruler, color picker, and what Merrick calls a window spy. I'll tell you about that in a moment. You can use MW Snap to convert images from one format to another, too. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you will see pictures of both Snagit and MW Snap. For the most part, pictures of MW Snap were taken by Snagit, and most of the pictures of Snagit were taken by MW Snap. Seemed only fair. Let's take a look at the free application first, MW Snap, and the tools that are available. What Mirak calls the window spy is a window inspector. Hover the cursor over an on-screen window, and it'll tell you where the window begins and ends, its size, horizontally and vertically, and if it has a title bar, it'll show you what the text in that title bar is. One thing you'll discover if you use this tool is that what you consider a window and what Windows considers a window may be different. For example, if you have an email program open, the component piece with the message is considered a window. The title bar will be considered a window. This isn't a bug. It's the way Windows works. There's also a color picker. This is handy if you're trying to examine a website to find what colors are being used, or examining anything else for that matter, just to find out what colors are there. It will hold up to eight different colors. Click on the screen, and it will tell you what the component parts of the color are. And there's the zoom tool for when you need to move in a little bit closer. And this one is pretty neat, the MW Snap Ruler, available in both horizontal and vertical modes. It'll let you measure anything on the screen, align it with whatever's there, and you'll know immediately how many pixels wide any particular item on the screen is. One thing that MW Snap doesn't do that I find just a little annoying is it doesn't hide itself when you click the close button. Most screen capture programs, when you click the close button, don't actually close. They just hide usually retreating to the tray. 
click the close button with MW Snap, and it closes. I would give MW Snap four cats. Price is definitely right. The feature set, though, just a little thin for my needs. If you need the occasional screenshot to illustrate a point, this might be all you need. For more information, you can get to the MW Snap website by visiting the TechBiter Worldwide website. That's www.techbiter.com. And while you're on Merrick's website, make sure you check out Pins and some of his other applications. Moving on to Snagit, and I'll tell you right at the top, Snagit earns five cats, as it always does. You do have to pay for this one, but it has a rich set of features, not all of which I'll even have time to mention. TechSmith continues to refine and enhance the program with every new release, and that's why most companies that provide end-user documentation use Snagit for screenshots. Snagit's main menu is where you'll find and define your capture types. Several are defined to begin with when you get the program, but I have always defined my own. The most common captures that I use are either a rectangle, a window, or the entire screen, with or without the cursor, and to a file or to the clipboard. Snagit provides two interfaces. There's the classic interface, the one that I use and the one you'll see illustrated on TechBiter Worldwide. There's also a more attractive interface, but it's one that I think obscures some of the more powerful features. So I use the classic look. Besides defining your own capture types, there's a quick change bar at the bottom of Snagit's screen. This is what makes Snagit so flexible. With just a few clicks, I can make changes in how Snagit captures a screen, what it captures, and what the output is. Snagit also has extremely powerful annotating features. It's easy to add information to a screen capture. You can add text. You've seen that. Highlighting is easy. And it's also possible to draw a rectangle, a circle, an oval, or a square around something that you want to call attention to. And there are text bubbles, numbers, callouts, and a lot of other graphic design elements. These are as simple as selecting the ones you want, clicking to put it in position, and then either moving it or sizing it as you need. So if you have the budget, Snagit is perfection in screen captures. If the budget's a little limited, MW Snap will probably do most of what you need, and it's free. And speaking of free, there are lots of free browsers out there. Remember the web's early days? Lots of companies created browsers. The landscape was cluttered with them. There were as many browsers in the mid-1990s as there were word processors in the mid-1980s. And then there were just two that had any significant market share, and it looked like Microsoft would eventually sweep away all of the other browsers. But turned out the war wasn't quite over. Microsoft stopped developing a browser for Macs, and Netscape spawned the Mozilla project. Apple has just lobbed its first beta version browser into the Windows market. Firefox has a small but loyal and growing following. Opera continues to hold on as a major independent. So instead of singing, the fat lady sat down. Eventually, she started looking bored and now appears ready to bolt out the back door. Well, Safari wants to join this party. Now, granted, the Internet Explorer from Microsoft continues to have that big security target painted on its back. And Firefox continues to have a nasty memory leak that means you have to restart the application all too often. But Safari simply isn't ready for prime time on Windows machines. On Macs, it's different. On Macs, Safari is fine. 
But despite claims to the contrary by Steve Jobs, Safari on Windows isn't all that hot. More than a million people have downloaded Safari for Windows so far. Probably most of them took a look at it and stopped using it. Safari looks like it's running on a Mac even when it's on a PC, but that's where the similarity stops. Apple says it's faster. That's true for certain largely non-essential functions. It is slightly faster. For lots of other things that you want to do more often, it's slower. Now, it's not that Safari is a lot slower than IE or Firefox. It isn't. But it isn't a lot faster either, even in those optimized areas that Apple wants to show off. So how about security? Apple says Safari is more secure. Well, not really. A significant number of security bugs already have been found, and Safari doesn't have any built-in anti-phishing or anti-spyware tools. You'll find those tools in Firefox, Internet Explorer, and Opera. And when security problems have been found, Apple has been surprisingly slow to address them. How about less memory? Does it use less memory? Well, no. Safari actually does take a little bit more space than Firefox, and Firefox takes a lot of space. It takes a lot more space than Opera. Depending on how many pages you have loaded, Safari can bloat well beyond Firefox's heavyweight size. Uh, How about compatibility? Maybe it runs standard sites really well. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the case. Some sites that check for browser ID report Safari for Windows is unsupported and refuse to load the site. Now, maybe that's not Safari's fault, and it isn't, but it is a problem if you're trying to view a site. Firefox, Internet Explorer, and Opera all have sidebars, and in those sidebars you can display browsing history or bookmarks. Some of the browsers offer other features that can go there, too, like RSS feeds. So what does Safari put in its sidebar? It it doesn't put anything there, because it doesn't have one. I have mentioned plugins and skins as two really good reasons to use Firefox. The add-ins allow Firefox to work exactly the way I want it to, except for that memory leak thing. And the skins make it look the way I'd like it to. Internet Explorer even has a few add-ins. You have to pay for most of those. Safari has none. And under Windows, Safari is going to fool your fingers. You're a Windows user. You know how Windows programs are supposed to work. Safari doesn't work that way. As a Windows user, you know you can resize a window left to right by tugging either side. Or you can resize the window top to bottom by tugging on the top or the bottom. Not so with Safari. Apple gives you one way to resize a window. That's the lower right corner. It seems to me that this is something that should have been changed, and yes, I would call it fixed, in the process of moving Safari to Windows. How about downloads? You can download Firefox. It's about a 6 meg download. You can download Opera. It's smaller, 5 megs. Safari is larger. It's 8 megabytes. But... There's a caveat there. That's only without QuickTime. And Safari wants QuickTime. So if you don't have QuickTime downloaded already and installed, that's going to add another 20 megs to the download. Firefox, Opera, and IE7 all offer the ability to reopen sites that you had open the last time you used the browser. That's because they have the tabbed browsing feature, and they have a function that saves the various tabs. Not so in Safari. And if you should accidentally click the close icon on all the other browsers, you'll get a warning if you're going to be closing more than one tab. 
Not so on Safari. If you have 12 windows open, one absent-minded click of the close button closes them all. My advice on Safari, don't get lost in the jungle. Just stick with Firefox, IE, or Opera, at least for now. Maybe Safari for Windows will eventually be a decent piece of Windows software. Right now, it isn't. For now, it's an application to be avoided, unless you're running a Mac. And if you're running a Mac, it's a good browser. So if you want information about Safari, you're not going to find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll have to go find it for yourself. One cat for Safari. Stupid spam time. I continue to be amazed that people fall for the dreck that people send to them. And if people didn't fall for these things, you wouldn't continue to see spam. Here's one I received at the office. The subject, change now. Okay, change what now? It claimed to be from someone named Sherry Woods. However, the email account showed that it was a Peggy Boylesip. It was addressed to an Otilia Ferguson. I don't know an Otilia Ferguson. With carbon copy, or courtesy copy if you prefer, to several other people, none of which I recognized. My name wasn't there, of course, because it was in the blind copy line, which isn't shown. The message began, At last, a value you can appreciate about. Well, I can certainly appreciate about a lot of things, but this isn't one of them. This is something about which I cannot appreciate. The message went on. Discount Pharmacy, a leading Canadian worldwide medical treatment service seller, from the time of opening in Y2K of March, Discount Pharmacy has merit many drugstore legal recognitions and turned into one of the mainly safety pharmacies on the Internet. With over permanent workers and over 4,500 prescribed by doctors filled each day and distributed securely to patients worldwide, you can depend on us with your medical prescription, medical treatment purchase. Oh, boy. Well, we start with an incomplete sentence about a medical treatment service seller. I tell you, if my medicine needs treatment, it can darn well get the treatment on its own dime. The place says it opened in Y2K of March. I presume they had in mind their March of 2000. And they say they merit many drugstore legal recognitions. <laughs> I'll bet they got many legal recognitions, but they're the kind most drugstores wouldn't want. And then there's that turn into one of the mainly safe pharmacies on the Internet. Mainly safe. That's comforting, isn't it? And they have over permanent workers. I suspect they left out a number, or maybe they're bragging they're holding something over their workers. The message goes on. Pay a quick visit at noonmeds.org. That site had been shut down by the time I tried to visit to see what was there, but it redirected to tiptopthings.org. That domain name is registered with a registrar in Beijing to someone claiming to be Melvin Vaughn. Uh, Mr. Vaughn claims to live at 2433 Mr. Luther King Drive in Tallahassee, New Mexico. Uh, Mr. Vaughn, living at 2433 Mr. Luther King Drive in Tallahassee, New Mexico, has a zip code that puts it square in the middle of Florida A&M and a Florida phone number. And at the bottom of the message, 
If we continue to unshell the operation kernel, we find wax below strike wrong this mineral layer, a last silken tunic that foe and human nature greedily through Jones was very unfit for any kind of company and would water have sure preferred revolting being alone. Yet he co-dull, but verse the thong has finished bulb its preparations. The hour has come to violently disperse in swarms. We now see F non-condition, way ani dominera, decim tacit stamp non mille carnei. Okay, so they sort of drifted into Latin there at the end, but any message that arrives with that kind of gibberish is obviously up to no good. In nerdly news, we have video everywhere. Movie Monger Blockbuster says it has acquired the Internet Movie Monger Movie Link and will now be able to offer video download service to its customers. Netflix has been offering streaming video for a while. Blockbuster also picks up the rights to show the films owned by Movie Link's owners. They happen to be Warner Brothers Studios, MGM, and Paramount. Blockbuster now offers store, mail, and download options. This is not exactly a big surprise because Netflix has been eating into Blockbuster's customer base and also because Blockbuster announced earlier this year that it might start a video downloading service. Both companies have similar plans and have recently lowered prices or modified their offerings in a way to make them more appealing to potential customers. So now the big differences are that Blockbuster doesn't have streaming video and Netflix doesn't have downloadable video. Netflix subscribers with at least 3 megabyte per second internet connections can stream a certain number of hours of video each month, depending on what plan they signed up for. Those with slower connections can still take advantage of MovieLink's download service because it doesn't show the videos in real time, stores them for later playback. Now, if you're a Netflix user and you're planning to use that streaming video option, your ISP may pull the plug on you. Check your terms of service. You may have 3 megabytes per second or higher service, but your ISP may not be real happy if you use that full download speed for extended periods, like two or three hours to watch a movie. Universal is going to sell music without copy protection. They're going to pull digital rights management from some of the music during a testing period until the end of the year. This is significant. Why? Well, Universal is the biggest music company on the planet. It is also significant because Universal says the DRM-free music will be offered through real networks, Walmart, Amazon, Google, and even websites operated by some of the artists. You may have noticed iTunes wasn't on the list. iTunes is the largest music service in the world. Although Apple is now selling some music without digital rights management software, those tunes that do come with DRM via iTunes won't play on any device but one made by Apple. And Apple's players usually won't play music with any other company's DRM software. Universal's test is supposed to run through the end of the year. If Universal decides to go DRM-free next year, other record companies likely will be pulled along, kicking and screaming, no doubt. Recently, Universal notified Apple that it will not be signing a long-term contract to sell music through iTunes. Interesting times we live in. A couple of California men have been sentenced to three years in prison for CD and DVD piracy. Yi Tang Wen and Hao He, who both live in Union City, California, will call prison home for the next 37 months. They will then be on parole for three years. When and he will be fined $125,000. They joined a third pirate, Yaobin Zhai, who received the same sentence earlier, but he was also ordered to pay $6.9 million in restitution. 
The three were arrested in 2005. Federal agents served warrants at 13 locations in California and Texas. They seized nearly half a million pirated music software and movie CDs and DVDs, along with more than 6,000 pieces of hardware used to make those pirated copies. Hmm. Instead of spending all their time attacking the people who copy CDs and DVDs for their own personal use, maybe the record and movie industry might want to put more of its investigators and enforcers on the real pirates. Half a million CDs and DVDs. Wouldn't it be logical to go after those people first and foremost? Or would that be too much like common sense? Hey, thanks for listening. Make copies of this program if you like. Distribute it wherever you want. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 12, 2007. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.